Letter 8 My dear Wormwood, So you have great hopes that the patient's religious phase is dying away, have you? I have always thought that the training college had gone to pieces since they put old Slobgob at the head of it. Now I am sure. Has no one ever told you about the law of undulation? Humans are amphibians, half spirit and half animal. The enemy's determination to produce such a revolting hybrid was one of the things that determined our father to withdraw his support from him. As spirits, they belong to the eternal world, but as animals, they inhabit time. This means that while their spirit can be directed to an eternal object, their bodies, passions, and imaginations are in continual change, for to be in time means to change. Their nearest approach to constancy, therefore, is undulation, the repeated return to a level from which they repeatedly fall back, a series of troughs and peaks. If you had watched your patient carefully, you would have seen this undulation in every department of his life. His interest in his work, his affection for his friends, his physical appetites, all go up and down. As long as he lives on earth, periods of emotional and bodily richness and liveliness will alternate with periods of numbness and poverty. The dryness and dullness through which your patient is now going are not, as you fondly suppose, your workmanship. They are merely a natural phenomenon which will do us no good unless you make a good use of it. To decide what the best use of it is, you must ask what use the enemy wants to make of it, and then do the opposite. Now it may surprise you to learn that in his efforts to get permanent possession of a soul, he relies on the troughs even more than on the peaks. Some of his special favorites have gone through longer and deeper troughs than anyone else. The reason is this. To us, a human is primarily good. Our aim is the absorption of its will into ours, the increase of our own area of selfhood at its expense. But the obedience which the enemy demands of men is quite a different thing. One must face the fact that all the talk about his love for men and his service being perfect freedom is not, as one would gladly believe, mere propaganda, but an appalling truth. He really does want to fill the universe with a lot of loathsome little replicas of himself, creatures whose life on its miniature scale will be qualitatively like his own, not because he has absorbed them, but because their wills freely conform to his. We want cattle who can finally become food. He wants servants who can finally become sons. We want to suck in. He wants to give out. We are empty and will be filled. He is full and flows over. Our war aim is a world in which our father below has drawn all other beings into himself. The enemy wants a world full of beings united to him, but still distinct. And that is where the troughs come in. You must have often wondered why the enemy does not make more use of his power to be sensibly present to human souls in any degree he chooses and at any moment. But you now see that the irresistible and the indisputable are the two weapons which the very nature of his scheme forbids him to use. Merely to override a human will, as his felt presence in any but the faintest and most mitigated degree would certainly do, would be for him useless. He cannot ravish, he can only woo, for his ignoble idea is to eat the cake and have it. The creatures ought to be one with him, but yet themselves, merely to cancel them or assimilate them, will not serve. He is prepared to do a little overriding at the beginning. He will set them off with communications of his presence, which, though faint, seem great to them, with emotional sweetness and easy conquest over temptation. But he never allows this state of affairs to last long. Sooner or later he withdraws, if not in fact, at least from their conscious experience, all those supports and incentives. He leaves the creature to stand up on its own legs, to carry out from the will alone duties which have lost all relish. It is during such trough periods, much more than during the peak periods, that it is growing into the sort of creature he wants it to be. Hence the prayers offered in the state of dryness are those which please him best. 
We can drag our patients along by continual tempting, because we design them only for the table, and the more their will is interfered with, the better. He cannot tempt to virtue as we do to vice. He wants them to learn to walk and must therefore take away his hand. And if only the will to walk is really there, he is pleased even with their stumbles. Do not be deceived, Wormwood. Our cause is never more in danger than when a human, no longer desiring but intending to do our enemy's will, looks round upon a universe from which every trace of him seems to have vanished and asks why he has been forsaken and still obeys. But of course the troughs afford opportunities to our side also. Next week I will give you some hints on how to exploit them. Your affectionate uncle, Screwtape. Letter 9 My dear Wormwood, I hope my last letter has convinced you that the trough of dullness or dryness through which your patient is going at present will not of itself give you his soul, but needs to be properly exploited. What forms the exploitation should take, I will now consider. In the first place, I have always found that the trough periods of the human undulation provide excellent opportunity for all sensual temptations, particularly those of sex. This may surprise you, because, of course, there is more physical energy and therefore more potential appetite at the peak periods. But you must remember that the powers of resistance are then also at their highest. The health and spirits which you want to use in producing lust can also, alas, be very easily used for work or play or thought or innocuous merriment. The attack has a much better chance of success when the man's whole inner world is drab and cold and empty, and it is also to be noted that the trough's sexuality is subtly different in quality from that of the peak, much less likely to lead to the milk and water phenomenon which human beings call being in love, much more easily drawn into perversions, much less contaminated by those generous and imaginative and even spiritual concomitants which often render human sexuality so disappointing. It is the same with other desires of the flesh. You are much more likely to make your man a sound drunkard by pressing drink on him as an anodyne when he is dull and weary than by encouraging him to use it as a means of merriment among his friends when he is happy and expansive. Never forget that when we are dealing with any pleasure in its healthy and normal and satisfying form, we are, in a sense, on the enemy's ground. I know we have won many a soul through pleasure. All the same, it is his invention, not ours. He made the pleasures. All our research so far has not enabled us to produce one. All we can do is to encourage the humans to take the pleasures which our enemy has produced, at times, or in ways, or in degrees, which he has forbidden. Hence we always try to work away from the natural condition of any pleasure to that in which it is least natural, least redolent of its maker, and least pleasurable. An ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure is the formula. It is more certain, and its better style. To get the man's soul and give him nothing in return, that is what really gladdens our father's heart, and the troughs are the time for beginning the process. But there is an even better way of exploiting the trough. I mean through the patient's own thoughts about it. As always, the first step is to keep knowledge out of his mind. Do not let him suspect the law of undulation. Let him assume that the first ardors of his conversion might have been expected to last and ought to have lasted forever, and that his present dryness is an equally permanent condition. Having once got this misconception well fixed in his head, you may then proceed in various ways. It all depends on whether your man is of the desponding type who can be tempted to despair, or of the wishful thinking type who can be assured that all is well. The former type is getting rare among the humans. If your patient should happen to belong to it, everything is easy. You have only got to keep him out of the way of experienced Christians, an easy task nowadays, to direct his attention to the appropriate passages in scripture and then to set him to work on the desperate design of recovering his old feelings by sheer willpower, and the game is ours. 
If he is of the more hopeful type, your job is to make him acquiesce in the present low temperature of his spirit and gradually become content with it, persuading himself that it is not so low after all. In a week or two, you will be making him doubt whether the first days of his Christianity were not perhaps a little excessive. Talk to him about moderation in all things. If you can once get him to the point of thinking that religion is all very well up to a point, you can feel quite happy about his soul. A moderated religion is as good for us as no religion at all, and more amusing. Another possibility is that of direct attack on his faith. When you have caused him to assume that the trough is permanent, can you not persuade him that his religious phase is just going to die away like all his previous phases? Of course, there is no conceivable way of getting by reason from the proposition, I am losing interest in this, to the proposition, this is false. But as I said before, it is jargon, not reason, you must rely on. The mere word phase will very likely do the trick. I assume that the creature has been through several of them before. They all have. And that he always feels superior in patronizing to the ones he has emerged from, not because he has really criticized them, but simply because they are in the past. You keep him well fed on hazy ideas of progress and development and the historical point of view, I trust, and give him lots of modern biographies to read. The people in them are always emerging from phases, aren't they? You see the idea? Keep his mind off the plain antithesis between true and false. Nice shadowy expressions, it was a phase, I've been through all that, and don't forget the blessed word, adolescent. Your affectionate uncle, Screwtape.